as I alluded in my prayer earlier. The end of history is not you and I being disembodied, floating in the sky with little angel wings playing harps. As we discussed in Sunday school today, God would not choose a harp as the best instrument for us to play. Friend, the end of history is heaven coming to earth. And you and I, should we pass away before Jesus, our King, returns, the promise is the resurrection of our body at His return. And our home is here forever. So if you would, either join me in your bulletin by following along or on the screen as I read these last two chapters of the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I in the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates 
and at the gates, twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the, three, on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will, be, will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the, throne, from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. 
And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash the robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a teenager, my parents' pastor told me that she believed that heaven was endless golf courses. I hated golf. I had a wicked slice. I remember very often at our municipal course when I did play, I would tee off on a par five on the first hole. And immediately to the right of the course was a cemetery. I went looking for a lot of balls in that cemetery on many occasions. So when she said that to me, and I didn't know any better, I didn't know what the Bible taught, I thought, I don't know that I really want to go to heaven. 
Because that sounds awful. But then the other thought occurred to me. It's like, ooh, well, I sure don't want to go to hell. I guess in eternity, I'll learn to get a little better at golf. At least I hope so. I hope these two chapters of Scripture have given you a picture of what it's going to be like about Jesus' return and the holy city coming down. The holy city itself, it, it was measured in stadium, and we're talking about cubits, it's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles with walls that are 216 foot. It's a very big place. We're talking about from Denver to Pittsburgh. It's a huge, huge picture. Now, what does all this have to do with grace? Today, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the end of grace and the hope of grace. The end of grace and the hope of grace. So the first thing, the end of grace. By saying the end of grace, I don't mean that grace ends, but merely that grace has a goal. For instance, our, our confessional standards, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It doesn't mean, what's the chief way that man dies or the chief way that man ceases? What is the chief purpose of man? So I'm asking, what is the chief purpose of grace? Because God doesn't merely have a gracious demeanor toward us for the sake of having a gracious demeanor toward us. Otherwise, we're just merely talking about therapeutic Christianity. Christianity that exists to make you feel better about yourself. That's not what the Bible teaches. The end or the goal of grace is this. It is to restore us and creation completely and fully back to the Father. That's the reason that God is gracious to you in Jesus. To bring you back and to bring all of creation back to the Father. It's not just to make you feel good here and now in your brokenness. Even though it is a great comfort in that way. It has an end. So knowing that then, and by the way, I realize that the scripture today was very long, so for your enjoyment, I shortened the sermon. The end of grace is to get us back to the Father. And I just want to share with you words that I've read and heard over the years. If you can conceive of a heaven without God in it, then you will never attain it. The entirety of heaven, the entirety of this holy city coming down out of heaven, the entire purpose is the fact that God himself is there. He is with us. And the Spirit continues to be in us. So if your vision of eternity doesn't have God in it, friend, may I ask you, 
to consider, have you actually bowed the knee to Jesus? Do you actually know him? Because if you do know him, you know that everything in your life, everything that you are, you want to be with him. You want to see him. The end of grace is to get us there. And the hope of grace, the hope of grace is not that we get grace, but in the same vein that we get Jesus. We have a tagline here at Trinity. We say grace changes everything. And I love that. Can I destroy that for a brief moment? It's not that grace changes everything, but that Jesus is everything. Even at the end of history, the entirety of grace is to get us to Jesus. Our end and our hope is almost as if we have been painted into Da Vinci's picture, The Last Supper. You're familiar with this painting. It's a mural in Milan, Italy, and Da Vinci considered it his crowning work and achievement. He was a genius, considered to be quite possibly the most brilliant polymath in the history of written civilization. In the painting, Jesus and his disciples are gathered for the last meal that they're going to have before Jesus is crucified. And if you see it, Jesus' hands there are outstretched and empty. But there's a backstory. The story is that Da Vinci dedicated three years of his life to painting this because he was absolutely determined this is what he would be known for. And before the unveiling, he decided to show it to a friend for whose opinion he had the utmost respect. And of course, the friend's praise was unbounded. He said, the cup in Jesus' hand is especially beautiful. The Da Vinci was distraught. And at once, he began to paint out the cup. His friend, astonished, asked him for an explanation to which Da Vinci replied, nothing must distract from the figure of Christ. Are we painting out the cups in our vision for the future? What is distracting our eye from a vision of Christ The end of history does bring about the end of many things. It brings about the end of a creation that doesn't work. As we saw in the passage, it brings about the end of mourning and crying and pain. It brings brings about the end of evil and death. And it brings about the end of us being far from God. But friend, it also begins. It begins our greatest hope. If you look in 21 verse 3, God himself will be among us. And then 21.4, God himself will wipe away every tear 
from our eyes. I've been in pastoral ministry because I paid pastoral ministry for, for a dozen years. I was thinking last night of all of the things that people have confided to in me. Um, everything that includes a life sentence in prison to the very mundane. I believe that pastors have a unique position in society. What I know to be true and what you know to be true even if you don't display it on a weekly basis, is that we are all desperately broken. You know it. And by broken, I don't mean just sinful. Of course, you know that as well. And if you know me at all, you know that I am very sinful. But by broken, I mean, friends, it goes so much deeper than our sin. It goes to bodies that don't work right, bodies that break down, relationships that, not even because of sin, you misunderstand a text, and you get upset about that, and you go about your day all upset because your friend sent you a text, and you didn't understand the way in which they said it, and then you and I, we get tired of the way that things are. We get tired of being broken but God himself will wipe away every tear from our eye. All of the wrong things will come undone. The end and hope of grace is that when the final bell tolls, the very thing that you and I yearn for, the very things that make this life beautiful, will be revealed in fullness and glory forever and ever. I'm going to share with you this example from C.S. Lewis's uh, work, The Chronicle of Narnia, the last book. is called The Last Battle. And in it, Lewis is talking about the old Narnia. When he th- talks about the old Narnia, think of the way that the world is now. And then he talks about the new Narnia. The way that things will be when Jesus returns The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was this. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. The reason we will love the new heavens and the new earth 
is because we get things, glimpses of the delights here and now. When you see true mercy, true grace, true beauty, friends, that is the Father drawing you up into a vision of history that ends with a holy city, New Jerusalem here. It ends with resurrected people surrounding a resurrected lamb, worshiping him forever and ever. That is the vision, the end and hope of grace. And you and I are being beckoned further up, further end, to an end and a hope in which Jesus makes all things new and he is king. And as C.S. Lewis closes in your preparation for worship, and in that day, Friend, the bad dream will be over. It will be morning. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and thank you. And we ask, quite simply, as the scripture says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.